So today we are finishing our sermon series on living by faith. Next weekend, Josh is going to be preaching. The weekend after that, we're returning to our series on Luke's gospel. We went about halfway through, took a break for some other things. Now we're going to be heading back into Luke's gospel. But today, we're finishing our series on living by faith. And what I want us to talk about and study in God's Word is how can we, in our fellowship, in our conversations, help each other to live by faith? How can we, in our relationships, strengthen each other's faith? Through fellowship, through talking together. Now, when I first became a Christian, I mean, I'm kind of an introvert, and so I understood why it was important to get us together to worship and to hear preaching, and Bible study made sense to me, and prayer made sense to me, but why fellowship? Why all this talking together? I mean, what, what's the point of that? I didn't connect with that quite so well until I studied Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, which changed my thinking completely. I saw how absolutely essential fellowship is, talking together is. That's the passage we're going to study this morning. Now, the book of Hebrews, very powerful book. If you haven't read it, I hope you all will read Hebrews, study it, learn it. It's written to encourage believers to keep following Jesus, to battle sin, and to not get discouraged when we face trials. Very powerful book. And in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, the author describes a time when the people of Israel hardened their hearts towards God, allowed their sin to deceive them, so they stopped trusting God's promises. They fell into unbelief. And then in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, the author then pulls some applications for us out from that episode, that incident in the life of the people of Israel. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Now, just one side comment. That word brothers in verse 12, take care brothers. Brothers in the Greek language is a generic term, which often refers both to brothers and sisters, men and women. So what the author is saying here is he's, he's describing our relationships as God's people, people who are trusting Jesus. We're like blood brothers and sisters. We love each other. We're close together. That's, that's the, the, the feel he wants us to have with that word. So let's look at verse 12, 13, and 14, and then we'll go through this verse at a time. Verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Powerful, powerful passage here. Now notice in verse 12, the author calls us to take care. What does that mean? Well, that word implies that you need to be alert to some danger. There's something dangerous going on you need to be paying attention to or alert about. It's like if somebody walked up and told you, there's a poisonous snake somewhere in your house. Well, that would change how you would be in your house. You would be alert to that danger. You'd be watching for that snake. 
you'd be taking care that you don't inadvertently bump into that snake. That's what verse 12 is saying. There is some danger that we, brothers and sisters, part of God's family, we here at Grace Church, there's a danger that each of us is facing that we need to be alert about, taking care of, watching for. So, what is this danger? What is the danger we need to be alert about? To answer that, read all of verse 12. Take care, brothers, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The danger is an evil, unbelieving heart developing in any of us. That's the danger. Now, what is an evil, unbelieving heart? Well, in these last weeks, as we've been talking about living by faith, we've seen that believing or faith means trusting all that God promises to be to us in Jesus Christ. Faith means trusting God's promises, all that He's promised to be to us in Christ. So an unbelieving heart is a heart that is not believing God's promises, not trusting God's promises. So the danger that we need to be concerned about for both ourselves and our brothers and sisters is that we can start turning from God's promises, stop trusting God's promises, stop believing God's promises. Now, how can we tell when that's happening? How can you tell when you are no longer believing God's promises? Well, I found two clues that help me see that in my own heart. See if these make sense to you. There's other clues, I'm sure, but these are two that I found very helpful. One way I can tell there's unbelief in my heart when I lack joy in God. Unbelief is there when that's the case. If I have no joy in God, or if I'm seeking my joy in something else more than God, then I'm not trusting God's promises. Straight up. One promise, for example, Psalm 1611. Beautiful promise. David is talking to God. And he says, You, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his resurrection, all that we've sung about this morning, we can be reconciled to God. We can experience the very presence of God. So we're not talking about joy here in what God gives to us. We're talking about joy here in who God is. Beholding Him, knowing Him, worshiping Him and His glorious Son, Jesus. And God promises in Psalm 16 that His presence will give us fullness of joy now and forever. So if I'm not seeking my joy in God, if I'm not experiencing any joy in God, if I'm, if I'm, not, if I'm seeking my joy in something else other than God, more than God, I'm not trusting this promise. There's unbelief in my heart. That's one clue. It's a dead giveaway to me. There's unbelief in my heart. A second clue. See if this makes sense. I can tell there's unbelief in my heart when I start disobeying Jesus. 
when I'm not obeying Jesus. If I'm pursuing sin, or if I'm being drawn towards not obeying something Jesus has told me to do, then I'm not trusting God's promises. There's unbelief in my heart. One promise, for example, is John 14, 21, which we looked at a few weeks ago, but look at it again. Let me remind you of this promise. Jesus says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, let's let's get the whole picture here. When you first put your trust in Jesus Christ, you trust him, you you turn from whatever else you were trusting to satisfy you, you, you trust Jesus Christ. At that moment, all your sins are forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, all forgiven. You are reconciled to God. And from that point on, you know God loves you. Nothing will ever separate you from God's love from that point on. You've trusted Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, God loves you, and you're going to know his love forever. But in this verse, Jesus also promises that as we continue to obey, as we continue to trust him and to obey him, we will experience even more of his love, even more of his presence, and there is nothing like experiencing the love and the presence of God. So if I'm pursuing sin or if I'm not obeying Jesus, I'm not trusting what Jesus just said here, that obeying his word will bring me more of his all-satisfying presence and love. I'm not believing. There's unbelief in me. So those are two clues. Now let me just give you a, a concrete example. Let's say that I hear rumors Uh, At the workplace, this does not apply to me in my workplace, but let's just say that at my workplace, I'm hearing rumors that people might lose jobs at at the company that I'm at. And when I heard those rumors, all of a sudden, worry started just rising up in me. Fear started to grow in me. Now, at that point, that would show me that there's unbelief in my heart, right? Right? No joy at that point, it's fear and worry. There's unbelief. And that worry and that fear would show that I'm not believing some of God's promises. Let me give you three examples of promises. First of all, one, I'm not believing the promise of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Beautiful little statement. He, God, cares for you. At that moment, I'm not trusting that God cares about me. I'm not believing the promise of Philippians chapter 4, 19. Amazing promise that God will provide for all of your needs. God has promised that. I will provide for all of your needs. I'm not, I'm not trusting that. I'm not believing, trusting the promise of John 6, 35, that whether I lose my job or keep my job, either way, I'm going to have Jesus Christ as my all-satisfying treasure. I'm not trusting that promise. See, that's the danger that we need to look out for. Unbelief, which we all battle every day, don't we? I do. You do. If you don't believe it, just think about those two clues as you walk through your afternoon today or as you walk through your day tomorrow. We are always battling unbelief. It's always there. That's the danger we need to look out for in our own hearts and in each other's hearts. An unbelieving heart. 
And why is that so serious? What is so serious? What does the author of Hebrews say is so serious about an unbelieving heart? Read verse 12 again and notice what he says at the end of that verse. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Fall away from the living God. The danger is that if we continue in unbelief, if we continue in our unbelief, then we face the danger of veering off the path, the path of salvation that takes us to heaven. We're in danger of veering off that path and falling away from the living God. That's the danger. And it doesn't get any more dangerous than that. Now, let me also say that that will never happen to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, been born again by the Holy Spirit, that will never happen to someone who has been saved and is trusting Jesus. Because the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God changed your heart. New heart he gave to you. We talked about this at the Focus Conference last weekend. He gave you a brand new heart, and one aspect of that heart is that we now pay heed to warnings like this. So when you hear the warning, be careful about Unbelief, because if you continue in unbelief, you can veer off and fall away from God. You're thinking, whoa, there's unbelief in me. And because God's changed your heart, you're going to deal with it. Father, help me. Brother, would you pray with me? Show me some scriptures I can be meditating on here to see my faith strengthened again. So because you're saved, you will pay heed to warnings like this, and you will never fall away. But the warning stands. If anyone continues in unbelief, continues in unbelief, then we are in danger of veering off the path and falling away. But because God has changed your heart, you pay heed to this warning and you say, there's unbelief in me. I've got to deal. I've got some work to do here. And you're out of danger. See how that works? But the warning stands. That's the danger. And it doesn't get any more dangerous than that. And just notice, by the way, that he talks about us falling away from the living God. I think he wants that to resonate in us. The danger is not just falling away from some religion or from some list of commands or list of promises. The danger is falling away from the living God who has created everything, who has made you, and before whom you will one day give an account for your life. You don't want to fall away from the living God. That's what's being focused on here. So that's the danger that we need to look out for. Is there unbelief in, in my heart? Is there unbelief in our hearts? That's the danger. Next question. What should we do about this danger? What should we do about it? We're, we're alert to it. Right? If you saw a poisonous snake, what should we do about it? Unbelief, what should I do about it? The answer of what we should do is in verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What we should do is exhort each other. Now that word exhort is a broad word in the Greek. It can mean exhort, obviously. It can mean urge, encourage, strengthen, comfort. It's a broad range of meaning. And the purpose of this exhorting is to keep each other from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, what does that mean? 
to be deceived by sin. Let me explain it like this. Even though we're trusting Jesus, we still have indwelling sin in us, which will not be removed until heaven entirely, right? There's still indwelling sin in our hearts. And that indwelling sin is dangerous because it wants to deceive you so that you don't believe God's promises. You have in you sin, which is your sworn enemy. And that sin in you wants to deceive you so that you stop believing God's promises. And when verse 13 talks about us being deceived about God's promises, that's the exact same thing that verse 12 was talking about in terms of us continuing unbelief. Same thing. Unbelief, being deceived about God's promises, same problem, that's the danger. Sin can deceive us about God's promises. We have to understand this. And think about what happens when you are deceived. When you are deceived, do you know you're deceived? The answer is no, because you're deceived, right? If you know you're deceived, you're no longer deceived. But think about what a danger that is. If you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. You think you're not deceived. That's a danger. So we can stop trusting God's promises and not even be aware of it. We can stop trusting God's promises and think everything's just fine. But this is serious. It's not fine. Because as verse 13 says, sin's deceit hardens our hearts. The longer we continue in that deception of unbelief, our hearts get harder and harder and harder. Unfeeling, more and more unfeeling toward God. Less and less responsive toward God. We've all experienced that, haven't we? you've gone for seasons, it's like, oh, that's what was going on. That's right. That's what was going on. It's dangerous. Okay, now back to me being fearful and worried about my job, okay? It's because sin is deceiving me about God's promises. God promises that he cares about me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. But my sin is deceiving me so I'm not thinking about God. I'm not even thinking about God. Or if I am, I'm thinking, he doesn't care about me. I'm here. This is, I'm on my own here. That's why I'm worried. Okay? So see how sin deceives. Or God promises to provide all of my needs. But if I'm worried or fearful, I'm not believing that. Sin is deceiving me. So all I'm thinking about, instead of thinking about God going to take care of my needs, I'm thinking about the economy. I'm thinking about our budget. I'm thinking about how can I find another job. How can I keep this job? Right? That's where your brain goes. And God's not even in the picture. God also promises that whatever happens in my job, whether I keep it or whether I lose it, Jesus Christ is going to be my all-satisfying treasure. But sin is deceiving me. So all I'm seeing at that moment as my treasure is my job. I want my job. I want to keep my job. What I'm clinging to is not Jesus at that moment. I'm clinging to my job, which I'm fearful I might lose. And I'm deceived. See, now, but think about this. Doesn't it just feel so right and natural to be fearful and worried at that moment? Right? Are you kidding me? I'm not going to be worried and fearful right now? I might lose my job. It feels so natural. It feels so right when we do that. You know why? Because we're deceived. We think it's just absolutely right. It's just right. It's absolutely natural. But it's not right. It's not natural. There is a God 
who is in complete control of your job, who cares for you, who's in sovereign authority over everything, who has sworn in the scriptures, I am going to provide for all of your needs, and you can trust me for whatever I have happened with your job, and whatever you lose it, or whether you keep it, you have Jesus Christ as your all-satisfying treasure. You are set. Whatever happens with your job, whatever happens is going to bring you even more joy in him forever, and all your needs will be met. You have nothing to worry about. Just trust me. That's reality. But if sin is deceiving you, you're not seeing any of that. That's just why we're worried and fearful. Does it make sense? Unbelief. Sin deceives us. And that's why it feels so right to be worried and so natural to be afraid. Sin is deceiving me. I'm not trusting God's promises, but that's dangerous. Because as verse 13 says, I'm in danger of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And as verse 12 says, I'm in danger of veering off the path. If I continue in unbelief, veering off the path and falling away from God. So the purpose of our exhorting is to free each other from sin's deceptions so we are back into believing, trusting God and his promises. That's the purpose of our exhorting. Is that clear? Now, how do we do that? How do we do that with each other? Let me just mention what some other scriptures would say first before we drill into exactly what is being said here. Um, Other scriptures would say, do this humbly with each other. Humbly. Not condemning. We are not any better than anybody else. We all battle this every day, right? So go to them humbly. We're all at the foot of the cross together in desperate need of Jesus. Do this lovingly, humbly and lovingly. Don't, Don't scold them care about them, love them, encourage them. If they're grieving or weeping about something that's causing them trouble, weep and grieve with them in their trouble. So talk humbly, share lovingly, but what should you say to them? What should you say? And you want to say what will focus on the main problem the main problem. And what is the main problem? This passage says that if I'm worried about my job, my main problem is not that I'm worried. And my main problem is not that I might lose my job. There's another main problem, much, much more serious problem than that. My main problem is, so we've been saying all along, my sin is deceiving me, so I'm not believing God's promises. That's my main problem. That's my main danger. So what we need to do when we are going to be encouraging each other, we we need to focus on the main problem, which is our unbelief. Focus on the main problem, our unbelief. That's what we need to do. Now let me illustrate how easy it is to miss that. We can miss it. Too often what we say to each other misses the main point. Like, let's say somebody hears that I'm worried and fearful about losing my job. And they mean well. They want, they want to care about me. But what they say to me is they, they say, you know, listen, the economy is rebounding. 
the job market is strengthening, you're not going to lose your job. I mean, they mean well. They want to encourage me, right? They want to love me and encourage me. But their words have missed the main point, right? They're running after maybe a fly in the house instead of that poisonous snake, right? They're missing the main point there. My main problem is not my fear and worry. The main thing I need isn't just to feel better. There's something deeper in my heart that needs to be addressed. My sin is deceiving me, so I'm starting to not believe God's promises, and if I continue in that, then there's huge danger there. If all that I hear is that my job will be fine, I might feel better, but my main danger has not been relieved at all. I am still in danger. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not clinging to Jesus yet. I'm just I'm clinging to my job thinking, oh good, I might not lose it. But I'm still clinging to my job. I'm not clinging to God as the one who cares for me. I'm not clinging to Jesus as my all-satisfying treasure, my provider. I'm clinging to my job, and so my heart problem is still there. Does that make sense? The main problems that we need to be focusing on. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you're a doctor in an emergency room. Ambulance brings a patient to you. Just came out of a car accident. Horribly broken leg. Excruciatingly painful. And they also have very serious internal bleeding, which if it's not stopped, they will die. Okay, so got the picture? Broken leg, great pain in that broken leg, internal bleeding, which unless it stops, it will kill them. Now think of how horrible it would be if you focused all your attention on setting their leg, taking care of that pain, oh, thank you, doctor, and then you walked away while their internal bleeding continues. Can you feel how serious that would be? Deadly serious. Now apply that to my worry, my fear about losing my job. If all I hear is that the job market is improving and so my job should be fine, you've set my broken leg. But the internal bleeding, sin's deceiving me so I'm not clinging to Jesus, I'm not trusting his promises, I'm not relying on him, I'm not looking to him as my joy, my treasure, my passion, my trust. That's not been addressed. The internal bleeding is still going on. It's dangerous. So what should we say then? How do we hit the main problem? What should we say? We should focus our words on who God is and all that he's promised to be to us in Jesus Christ. That's the main point. That's what's going to address the problem. That's what's going to take care of the internal bleeding. Focus on God and all of his promises. By the way, that does not mean finding a promise that guarantees you won't lose your job. Okay, there's no promise that says that in the Bible, right? No promise guarantees that you'll never lose your job. But there's tons of other promises that will totally surround that situation, help you see that situation, trust God in that situation so you'll be strong and at peace and calm and full of joy in the Lord through that stressful time, that difficult time. So we should focus our words on God and his promises, which are true for us in Jesus Christ. And notice that we should do this every day. Did you catch that? Verse 13, every day as long as it is still called today. Well, how long is that? How long is it still? Is it still today, today? Yes. It's going to be today until Jesus Christ comes back. At that point, the day of salvation is over. At that point, 
For those who've been trusting Christ, battle against unbelief will be gone, never to be faced again. But before he comes back, every day our sin is trying to deceive us about unbelief. Every day we're tempted to continue in unbelief. And so every day we need to give and to receive words about who God is and all he's promised to be to us in Jesus Christ. Every day. Why every day? Because sin doesn't take a day off. Sin's deceiving power does not take any days off. Workaholic. And so every day, we need to be exhorting each other. So husbands, every day, encourage your wife with who God is and what he's promised in Christ. Every day. Wives, every day, encourage your husbands with who God is and all that he's promised in Christ. Parents, every day encourage your children with who God is and all he's promised to be to us in Christ. And children, young people, every day encourage your parents with who God is and all he's promised to be to us in Christ. And everyone, Grace Church, let's encourage each other every day with who God is and all he's promised to be to us in Christ. That's what these verses are saying. Now, we haven't yet looked at verse 14, which summarizes why this is so important. So why is this so important? What's the summary? Verse 14. This is not an easy verse to understand, so let's read it slowly. I want to point out a wrong way of understanding it and then what I think the right way is. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ in the past. We have been saved genuinely, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, when we first read this, if you read it kind of quickly, it can sound like somebody can lose their salvation. It sounds like somebody can genuinely come to Christ, be saved, be born again, but then if they don't hold on all the way to the end, if they let go, then they would not be saved. It's not what this verse is saying. If you, if you Look at it again. It's not saying that if we hold fast our faith, then we will end up being saved, and if we don't, then we won't. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that if we hold fast our faith, if we continue to trust, then we will know we have been saved. We will know we have been saved. We have come to share in Christ if we hold fast to the end. There's a big difference here. This is talking about how we can be assured of our salvation. See, when God saved you through what Jesus Christ did in his great love and mercy, dying on the cross, paying for your sins, giving you faith, granting you repentance, giving you a new heart, changing you, and God caused you to be born again by the Holy Spirit, he began a work in your heart that he promises he will continue all the way to heaven. He is going to bring you to heaven. He's promised that. He will do that. He's going to keep you persevering in faith all the way to the end. Now, there will be ups and there will be downs, right? There will be victories and there will be stumblings, right? That's how it is. But because he's changed our hearts, we will wake up to what's happening because he's promised to save us 
he will wake us up to what's happening. And we'll say, wait a minute. No joy, sin, temptation. I'm being deceived into unbelief. My sin is deceiving me. And when you turn to Jesus and say, help me, help me, he will always move toward you with his arms wide open to come and give you all the help, all the encouragement, all the strength, all that you need. Every time, again and again and again and again and again. And one of the ways he will help you is by sending a brother or a sister to come and remind you about who God is and all that he's promised to be to you in Jesus Christ. To open up the scriptures with you, to love you humbly, to share with you who God is and all that God's promised to be to you in Christ. So the point of this verse is that one of the ways God keeps us on the road to heaven is through fellowship, through talking together, through encouraging each other. And that shows us how vitally important fellowship is. God will use your love, your words, your encouragement, your urgings, your comfort, your conversation to free people around you from sin's deception so that they no longer continue in unbelief, but are back in sync, back in faith, back in trusting. That's the importance of fellowship. So what's at stake in our fellowship is nothing less than eternity. Eternity is at stake in our fellowship because God is going to use your fellowship with someone else to keep them on the road all the way to heaven. Your fellowship, your words, your love are an essential component to that. So we don't just have fellowship together because we like having friends. We fellowship together in this way because we want our friends to be in heaven. That's why fellowship couldn't be more important than that. So what does this mean for us? One thing I want to summarize. Make fellowship a priority in your life. Make it a priority. Is it a priority in your life? A couple examples. Weather's good now, so stick around outside, outside after the gate um, and, and talk to people. Meet somebody new. You may be walking up to somebody, meeting somebody new, who is just desperate for some encouragement from a brother, from a sister. Go out to lunch together. Get to know each other. Strengthen and encourage each other. Exhort each other, as we've been talking about here. One of the main ways we pursue fellowship here at Grace Church is in our home groups. Home groups, group of 8 to maybe 20 people, a mixed group, uh, kind of geographically focused. We come together, we, we share our hearts, what's going on in our hearts. We share God's promises, we pray for each other, we study God's word, we worship, we sing, we do evangelism training. But especially our goal is to have each person leave stronger in faith than when they arrived. So if you're not in a home group, you can learn about them on our website. If you have questions, send an email to mail at gracechurchabadabi.com. We'll give you more information. 
But contact the home group leader near a home group or at a home group near where you live and visit and, and talk with them more about what it would mean to become a part of that home group. If you are part of a home group, I want to encourage you to make it a priority. Make it a priority. It's been hard these last, what, year and a half, two years with COVID. Some of our groups are now in person. Some are still by Zoom. Zoom is difficult, right? But don't let Zoom make you pull back from your home group. God can use words spoken over Zoom just as powerfully in your brother, your sister's life than words spoken face to face. Yes, it's not as fun. Yes, it's harder, especially if you've been on the computer screen all day. But eternity is at stake here. Your brothers and sisters need you. And you need your brothers and sisters. Make fellowship a priority. So look around the room. Okay, here we are, Grace Church, brothers and sisters. Here we are. Think of those who are here, overflow room. Hello, think about those people too. Think about those who aren't here this morning. Your brothers and sisters need your fellowship. They need your encouragement. That is one of the means by which God is going to keep them on the road to heaven. It couldn't be more important than that. So make fellowship a priority. Every day, make fellowship a priority. Let's stand together. I want to pray. Father, I pray that you would impress the truth of this passage deeply into our hearts right now with exactly what we each need to hear about this. Show us Jesus. Show us the cross. Show us your promises. Show us the priority of fellowship, Lord. Lord, our, our longing is we want to live lives that magnify Christ. Help us to see more clearly how our fellowship does that. Conversations at Starbucks, being part of the home group, lunch after church, whatever it might be, that our, our fellowship will be used in others' lives to magnify Christ. Strengthen us in this, I pray, in Jesus' name.